This is the Impossible Things Podcast. Here are three average guys discussing the impossible. Jesse Human, Jimmy Donahue, and your host, Kyle Cole. Welcome back to the Impossible Things Podcast. I am here tonight with Jimmy. Hello. Hi. Oh. What? Jesse? Uh, yes. What, what was that about, Jesse? You just trying uh, to steal my entrance? I was, I was just all psyched up, and then he called you first. That is weird, though. He usually calls Jesse first. I do, but I gotta change it up. Like, gotta keep it interesting. Keep everybody on their toes. Yeah. Yep. Everybody. Everyone listening. I'm not not on my toes, usually. Yeah, me neither. I'm I'm actually, I'm on my rump right now. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta keep everyone on their rumps. Alright. Okay, Jesse. Uh Uh-huh. What are we talking about today? Well, today, oh, what, I thought I, oh, okay, today's empathy. No. Yes, today's empathy. I feel you, I feel you. You feel me. So, here's the thing that we will talk about today. Uh, We know that, that it is possible to say that you're feeling what someone else is feeling and to understand because you've had a similar experience. I know I know what it feels like to lose your job because I've lost a job kind of thing. Sure. Uh, but would it actually be possible to, through some miracle of science or technology, to be able to allow us to really feel, to take on that person's feeling into our own being. That's pretty that exciting. Sense. Yeah, it's a pretty exciting topic. But uh, b- before we what? jump, before we Good. jump both both feet in. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. How, how was your week? Long, long couple of weeks for me. For you too, Jimmy. Yeah, it, this week has been pretty long. Yeah, a lot of work, but yeah. it's good. It's nice to be productive. I, I think- agree. I don't know. I don't know how you guys do, but like I'm, I, I am really bad at, which you would think I'd be really good at it, and I think I was for a little while. But like when my schedule is changing constantly, like I, I have, I'm having a much harder time keeping up with it now. I think it's, I think it's because I spent a year when I was doing my other job and spending a year in waking up at the same time every morning and the bus going to work was leaving at the same time every morning and like we were doing the same thing every day i think i i think i've really lost touch with like shifting like my schedules around a lot Mm -hmm. so that's been that's been pretty hard because the first what was it first the first shift this week was 6 a.m and then i had a few other shifts that were like I don't know, we started at like 5 p.m. and then midnight and then like just kind of all over the place this week. Wow. And it's been, it's been kind of difficult to keep up. I think, yeah, I think it's probably a combination of a couple of things. Like, I mean, you're also like, not that you're terribly old, but you're getting older and you've been doing this kind of thing for a long time and then you slipped out of that habit. Yeah. Uh, so slipping, slipping back in isn't really much of a slip. It's more of a conditioning. <laughs> a, a, a crash. <laughs> A, def- a definitive crash, yes. Was that something that you noticed through your career of getting like a little bit, not saying you're old, don't want to start that conversation, wow. but, like, grow- but like growing up and like, it, is, that, is that one of the things that you tend to lose like later on is the ability to shift like that? I don't know. I'll let Jesse answer first. Oh, what? I was looking oh, yeah. up something that pertained to our topic. Oh, oh, he was, he was oh, skipping, sorry, he was skipping I was, ahead. <laughs> Jeez. I was taking the opportunity to... <laughs> I guess that proves sense. it right there, Jimmy, is that like the older you get, the less you can jump back and forth, whether oh, it be yeah. ta- time or topic or otherwise. I don't really Fine. jump back and forth very well. Fine, I'll answer then. <laughs> I uh, So I started doing like more contracted stuff in the last like six months because I felt like I was losing the ability to like just get up and go. And like to you know get up and push cases and set up a sound system and tear it down on the same day and like gig yeah. and do all that stuff because so I just don't I have zero option to do that in the day to day work at work now mm-hmm. um, for a myriad of reasons but 
I, I just felt like I was losing that, and it's like, I'm only 32. I'm really not that old. I should be able to do the get-up-and-go. Uh, I will say that you feel it a whole lot more than you used to. Like, there's certainly no, like, bouncing back. Like, if I, ba- if I do back-to-back gigs, which I did at the beginning of the year, it's, I'm, like, tore up for at least a week now which did never used to be that way. And I'm not a super healthy person to begin with, but, like, I don't know. Last couple of years I've started actually feeling, I don't know, the lack of energy, I guess. Right. Yeah, I, uh, I, yeah, no, I think that's been happening because there's been things that I've noticed, like, getting up early. I used to, like, I've never enjoyed being like I've never been considered myself a morning person. Like there's just some people that I think love the idea of like waking up at four thirty and getting a head start on the day. And I'm really happy there are some billionaires out there that say like I start every day at eleven AM. It's like, yes, you are a guy. <laughs> <laughs> you are the example I was looking for. <laughs> I had to look real long and hard, but I found one. Because <laughs> man, you hear about everybody like you hear about like uh, this guy that I've been following, um, oh, I just blanked on his name. He's a Navy SEAL. He wrote a book that I really, really like a lot. I'll think of it in a second. Um, he uh, he talks about the way the path to success and being really, really like uh, meticulous on things is to wake up every morning at four thirty in the morning because nobody oh. because on average the people wake up at like between six and seven. He says now you have a two and a half hour start or a, an hour and a half start on everyone in the world. And it's like, uh, yeah, but man, that sucks. Yeah. Like Benjamin Benjamin Franklin used to only sleep for like five hours or something like that. It doesn't matter what time he went to sleep. He used to only, he used to wake up five hours after he would go to bed and start working on stuff. And start and electrocuting like, himself with keys on kites. Yeah. Right. He made a lot of good life decisions. Yeah. <laughs> but man, I, I'm only joking. But yeah, that's that's a, that's a bit much. So something that I've noticed now is that like if I find out that I'm waking up really early to do something, I have to do whatever I don't do the night before will not get done in the morning. Like I have to like lay out my clothes and I have to like make myself a lunch. That all has to happen the night before I go to sleep because just getting up in the morning is so freaking hard. <laughs> it's, not even, it's just it's a struggle. I, I'm a total alarm snoozer. It's horrible. No, I mean, I go back and forth. I'm in one of those periods right now where I just snooze the alarm a ton. I think a lot of it has to do with the lack of energy on my part, though. So I think if I start working out again, I'll probably have more energy. I have no idea if that's even true. But we're going to find out starting tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> again. Again. <laughs> okay, J- Jesse. Jesse, come back from the the nether regions of your your outline and planning and research, mm. and uh, tell yes. us about your tell us about your week. Other than the, oh, just you know, a lot of work. Long... <clears throat> Fortunately, I didn't get my schedule yanked around, but I did work an extra day, uh, which is okay. Yeah, it's not horrible. No, not horrible. I just didn't get to plan as much for this as I would have liked. But that's alright. I hear you. I had other choices. And this that's is still going to be good. Sometimes. I think it that still is. will be good. But uh, but we, we should get into it. But before we jump into it, apparently we had a complaint. A verbal complaint from a listener. I did. Okay. What happened? Can we oh, tell yeah. us about it? It was Jimmy. You were the sure. one who received it. Sure, we had a, a good friend of ours. Well, for those of you that may not remember, we talked about uh, was it last week we talked about flat Earth? Yeah. Oh no, it was two actually weeks a couple ago. Weeks. not not last yeah. week. It was a couple weeks, weeks ago. Last episode. Yes. Last Correct. episode was flat Earth, and I don't know if you guys have gone back and listened to it, but we <laughs> we were a little, in my opinion, we were a little loosey goosey just because we were in the very beginning, as crazy as the theory is. We were not at at any point giving that side of it like any type of credit. We were just saying like, nope, this is crazy, and we're not going to. Re-. So we didn't. We ended up not really touching on a lot of things that prove that the Earth is in fact round. Um, so one of the the complaints that I got was, you guys talked about a bunch of reasons why flat Earthers think that the Earth is flat, but you never touched on why they're wrong. You just said 
oh, they're, that's incorrect, and then you've moved on, but you never gave a reason to why, which I think is valid. And one yeah, of the completely. Ones, which one of the, one of the ones that, that they had said, so maybe it might be worth it. I, I know we probably didn't plan for this. It might be worth it to go through a couple of them really quick and explain like why that's not the case. And the one that he had brought up to me, the guy that I had complained, um, had said, he's like, well, when, it, when a helicopter flies in the air, how come the earth doesn't spin underneath it? And that is a great, that's a great question because a lot of people don't really understand. And I actually, I, I had an idea of why it didn't work, but uh, it's it's because you have to think of the atmosphere. You, it's easier to think about it as the greenhouse effect, as like the atmosphere is creating like a bubble around the earth and all of that stuff is moving with the earth as the earth is moving, right? So the land is moving, which is causing the air around it to move as well. And gravity is holding all of that stuff around the sphere. It's kind of like, uh, I don't know why you would ever do this as a vandal or anything, but you know, if you throw a water balloon outside of a car, it's not like you throw it out of the car and it immediately travels backwards because the car is traveling so much faster. As you're throwing the water balloon out of the car, it's traveling with you and slowing down. That's why the that's why it travels outward for a great distance and then drifts off. Is because it's like the car is throwing the water balloon as well. Which is why you can actually get in trouble for uh, uh, assault if you throw a water balloon at anybody outside of a car. Why do I feel like you know this from personal experience? Yeah, I just read a, read a lot of Reddit articles. <laughs> <laughs> ah, uh, that, yeah, that's the reason. Yeah, that, thank thank God for police officer warnings. Um, <laughs> but but that is that is the main reason. So when a helicopter flies up, it's also moving because the Earth is causing everything to move with it. It's not like the Earth is separate from space. It's creating the pocket of air that's around it is causing everything to move. I'm sorry. It's actually like on. Uh, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, when I was looking at a bunch of stuff, he actually has on his website as a pretty good, like, graphic, or a graphic that was on a website that he was being mentioned on, has a pretty good graphic of how that entire phenomenon works, which is pretty cool. You should, uh, you should post that to the, the, post that to the Facebook. I shall. Um, I think that's a, they think that address is, like, one of the, one of the main reasons, but I, like, I'm sure we'll, we can come back and cover that topic either in like a rapid fire like overview review of a bunch of episodes that we wanted to wrap things up with or like a, another full episode later on but that I think that's a good a, a good answer to addressing that particular that one mm-hmm. particular example of like well why doesn't it move um so they, yeah there so that, that we we've answered this complaint mr whoever complained <laughs> Yeah, and it, I think it's that also that his complaint brought up a couple of things. Whereas, like, oh, there is actually a lot more people than you would think. Yes, may not be like diehard flat earthers, but there are enough people out there that will question if if the Earth is in fact flat or not. That's all it takes. All it takes is some doubt, though. Like, I mean, yeah. I I don't know. There are people who don't fully subscribe to every portion of like gravity which i think is an interesting thing to like dispute but i mean you're certainly you're entitled to you're entitled to some doubt of the scientific community's like blind acceptance mm-hmm. i think that's what like helps to find like newer technologies or helps to find a better understanding of it is that kind of curiosity into right. the like not accepting everything at face value so i think it's super valuable um something that along that that lines of saying like this is kind of like looking at like people who who like I don't want to, I don't want anybody to ever think that I talk bad about or like look down on anyone who believes a different like thing like flat Earth. If you believe it, go for it, run run with it. If there's enough evidence out there for you to believe it, who am I to say that you're wrong? And the reason why I would bring that up is because I actually just went to the Griffith Observatory for the first time yesterday. Wow, uh, I had never been there before. Which is kind of crazy because that place is totally my speed. <laughs> uh, but like, I went there for the first time, and they had an awesome planetarium. Like, they the whole I've never seen a planetarium show before, and I did not realize quite how long that humans really believed that the Earth was the center of the universe, and like, 
it's pretty much in the mo- like it, they they talk about how every like hundred years or so we figure out how much more wrong we were about that. Like you get to <laughs> Galileo and Copernicus, and that they're the ones that kind of figured out that the sun was the center, and that explains all the eclipses and everything. But then they thought that the sun was the center of the universe, and then you figure out like, oh no, we're nowhere near the center of it, and we're, everything is rapidly expanding. It's like every it's like every you know, a hundred years or so, we discover something that was like incredibly wrong about the way we used to think about things. So, oh, well, I think it's really cool. Um, like maybe, I said, it's that it's that kind of curiosity of like of yeah, I don't know things that we kind of take for granted as being like the truth that like right. helps us either reinforce that it is the truth or challenges it completely. I think it's really cool. Mm-hmm. So Jesse. Mm-hmm. Yes, our, sil- our silent partner. Are you still awake? Here. Yes, <laughs> and your waveform got real quiet there for sixteen <laughs> minutes. Yes, the world may not be flat, but my waveform was. <laughs> Such a good segue. Such a good segue. I did want to say about that though that that it was it's mostly my fault that the episode went so crazy. I just I was having too much fun and not enough serious <laughs> discussion. I mean, you were you were laughing harder than you ever have in any episode before. Yeah, well, that's probably the happiest I've ever heard you. <laughs> Goodness, never again. So, Jesse, just kidding. Maybe again sometime. Jesse, empathy. Ah, uh, yes. Ah, uh, yes. What, what, what's that about? The definition, the the strictly uh, dictionary definition of the word. It comes from Greek, M, and pathos, meaning in and feeling. So you're, it's the ability, it's become to mean the, the ability to understand or share the feelings of others. But if you go back to the Greek and you, you look at the two parts, M and pathos, meaning in feeling, mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> you get you get a sense of not just being able to understand somebody else's feelings, but actually being in it with with that person. Okay. And how I don't think we're I don't think that anybody who says I know how you feel actually means that you know, to that level. But is it possible? Could we could we get there? That's what we're talking about. So could we get so, there? Is in like not just imagining the feeling of somebody else, and like, like you said earlier, like oh, I've been let go from a job before. I know how that mm-hmm. feels. But like you yep. mean actually, like actually I don't feel know, it. Like actually feeling. Like if it was a, a, a touching something, like you burned your hand, and I like also felt the burn on my hand. Yeah. The exact same way. The exact same type of yeah. burn. That's I knew, what you mean, right? I knew somebody who who, uh, it was a man, and his wife was having uh, Braxton Hicks, the, the pre-contraction contractions. You know, mm-hmm. what, you know what I mean? When she's not really in labor, but she's having contractions early. Yeah. And he goes, he said he was feeling them with her. I thought that was crazy. But yeah, that's... So that's probably part of what, um, part of what, what got me interested in this topic. I, I will say that, like, the, so when it first popped up, when the topic first popped up, anytime anybody says the word empathy, the first thing I think about is my wife. Because we say that that is her greatest and worst trait. Or at uh, least I say it's her greatest and worst trait. Okay. She can feel anybody's anything. Um, oh. And she just puts herself, like, right in that situation. So I was like, I told her that this topic was coming up. And so we were having, like, pretty genuine conversation. I kind of thought the conversation was going to go a different direction. Our, our, your, yours and mine and Jimmy's conversation, that is. Mm-hmm. I thought it was going to go a different direction than it is actually going. So I'm sure we'll come back to that later on. But I was telling her about about that and just the like where I thought we were going with the podcast. But she she's pretty much the first person. Her and her cousin, who's like her best friend, are like two of the most empathetic people on the planet. Like just feel things for people. Or yeah. feel things with people that 
I like I can't even imagine putting myself in that because I feel like I'd just be grieving all the time. But yeah. you know, so, somebody's got. I'm glad they do it because I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do that. So that is it something that that she willingly does that she could maybe turn off if she wanted to, or is that just the way she is? Interestingly enough, that is what I asked her. I said, "Do you think that you're like compelled to feel this way, or is this like something that you like? I don't know that you like learned to do." And I like some of my research did lead me to that: is that empathy is not necessarily something you are born with or not born with. Um, it's definitely like something you can learn herd mentality wise. Um, it just really depends on modeled behavior and conditioning and a handful of other like psychological, social sciences, I guess. Um, but she did, she did say, she said like, well, like now that I'm, you know, now that we're getting older and she said, now that I know myself a little bit better, uh, she thinks that she leans into it a little bit more when she needs to. And she tries to lean back from it when she needs to as well. So that she's not constantly like, I don't know, feeling the pain of people that she doesn't really want to sit in their misery with them or she can't for whatever reason, like that's not, you know, that's just not a viable way to live all the time. You end up being depressed after a while, you know? So she, she had said she leans into it or leans away from it. But uh, I did think it was interesting that it's like semi instinctual, you know? Mm, Yeah. Well, there are, there are people who, who, uh, can feel physically, and this seems it, this triggered your uh, well, your wife's experience triggered this thought in me. That, this article that I read and I actually clipped it, if I can find it. But there are people who actually feel physical touch that they see others receiving. Hmm. And this uh, this article is called "Study People Literally Feel the Pain of Others." And there is a story in it of uh, uh, this researcher, somebody Blackmore, Blakemore. Uh, she says, I was giving a talk and mentioned synesthesia, and that anecdotally there were reports that some people felt touches they only observed, and there was a woman in the audience who asked, doesn't everyone experience that? Isn't that like, completely normal? Mm. And so she goes on to say uh, that woman in the audience didn't know that she was unique in that way. Huh. That everybody doesn't experience that. And apparently somebody else in her family, a cousin, had the same thing. And maybe they talked about it or something. And the, so, and it, but it seems to run in families, this, this synesthesia. And synesthesia is interesting in and of itself. Uh, there, are, there are many different types of it. Before tonight, I only thought that there was the kind where you hear music and see colors like different notes will trigger a color of yeah. vision which I think I think is pretty commonly known a lot of people are aware of that but <clears throat> I found a couple other articles that say there are more than that one article says it lists six it lists five let's list five here the five more like more common ones, but then it goes on to say that there are uh, twenty. We already have twenty different types of synesthesia. In reality, there are many more possibilities. Uh, and then I found another article that says there are at least eighty different types of synesthesia, and it goes on to list them and gives a little graph. So it kind of the <laughs> this um, this graph of the eighty different types. It has, it's a kind of an X Y chart, and down one side it has, it has a bunch of words like inputs, you know, uh, perceptions. Mm-hmm. So it has emotions, flavor, uh, graphemes, kinetics, lexamine, music note, music sound, odors, you know, blah 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 down the list, and then across the top it has the exact same. So what they're basically saying is that every you know, emotions and emotions don't go together, and flavors and flavors don't go together. But emotions and flavors could go together. So they're just listing out all the possibilities. It's not that they've discovered people with all of these kinds of synesthesia. 
Anyway, okay. little rabbit trail on synesthesia there. But some of the more common types are uh, <clears throat> graphene color synesthesia. That's the most common, according to this article. We see letters and numbers with a specific color. So every time they see a letter, like a letter A, they would be like purple. Huh. And a letter B would be red. And it, it was consistent? Consistent across, like, cases? No, not cases, but the same person would see the same letter every time the same way. That's very interesting. And I think it has to do with um, with their own early childhood experiences. Okay. Uh, so there's then there's sound to color synesthesia and number form. Uh, number form is the mental map that consists of numbers. So they have they have numbers and they think about numbers and then it, it's uh, it's kind of they're in different a different spatial arrangement, right? Or they kind of see a spatial arrangement for the numbers. Uh, I guess that could be that could be pretty neat. Yeah, helpful kind of visualization of of mathematics. That's really interesting. I mean, <clears> like <throat> that that kind of association is almost like I don't know computer like in that. You're just assigning value, like whether you do it internally and instinctually, or whether you do it and condition yourself into it. Yeah. Like, I mean, you assign a, one value to another value. It's like no different than a a variable, I guess. But, but the, so the bottom line of synesthesia. No, sorry, you can uh, you can finish your thought. No, no, there, uh, that was just trailing off. There was nothing after but. <laughs> oh. So the the interesting thing about synesthesia is that it's too. It's two inputs being triggered by one stimuli. You know what I mean? Two stimulation, two, um, what's the word? Sorry, the word? Like two, two sensations being stimulated by one, one input. So you hear music and you hear music, but you also see a color. Interesting. <clears throat> so what they're saying is some people have this, this, uh, touch synesthesia mm-hmm. what's the name of it they have the name of it blended experiences is one way that they described it in this other article hmm. uh, there's a name where is that well whatever it has it has a name someplace but they so they see the touch and they see the touch and then they also feel the touch and there's no they haven't really found exactly what we're talking about where they would see someone in pain and feel the the emotional pain, uh-huh. but I mean, you could you could imagine the possibility for that. I would think. Interesting. How many uh, in your research of all of that, Jesse? How many things did you run into about identical twins? Yeah. Uh, We've talked about twins in the past. I didn't. I didn't come across anything in twins here. But I was, where? <clears throat> go ahead. I was. I was looking for that that identical twin story that we've talked about before about World War Two German psychologist uh, or a German doctor. I can't remember exactly what it is. Um, I haven't read the the thing in a long time. But I started starting like of twins, and there seems to be actually a number of articles talking about um, uh, twins having the ability to share each other's feelings. Uh, It doesn't seem to be a common function of all twins, but (laughs) it seems to show up in twins quite a bit. Uh, What I was reading is from uh, the Daily Mail, uh, which they're not, you know, super reputable, but they're not the worst in the world, uh, saying that twins were having, uh, one twin was having morning sickness, and mm-hmm. the other twin didn't even realize she was pregnant yet, but was having morning sickness because she was actually, she says they, they couldn't play sports when they were kids because when one person hurt themselves, the other person felt the pain. Oh, wow. So it was that type of thing. Uh, That's interesting. So I didn't, when we, when we talked about twins before, what episode was that? I don't remember. Oh man, yeah. Like I, I'm it. having a hard time remembering like when we would have talked about it because there's a couple of times it would have been a good. Here, I'll, yeah. I'll dig for that. You keep talking. 
That was pretty recent, I think. It was either this season or maybe season three. But it was, um, they had, there was some, oh, it was uh, Premonition. Ah, I think it was Premonition. yes, no, you're right. That's totally it. Uh, they, they said that there wasn't really, there wasn't a provable link between twins. There was anecdotes and stuff. There was, you know, different stories about, about when twins would, one twin would know that another one was in trouble or, or like you're saying, would, would feel pain or, or extreme empathy like that. Right. But they couldn't prove it. They could never, never go to a lab and say, you know, definitively, twins have a link. And the theories were, uh, they just have such a shared experience from growing up in the same age in the same house and having the same set of oh, I see of inputs that they mm-hmm. they, they see and experience the world in in a lot the same in way. Fashion, yeah. Interesting. Which which could lead I don't know it could lead to a, a some sort of extra link. I mean, obviously they're more alike than any other two people around. Right. So they have. Right. They could they could obviously imagine more closely what the other one's feeling than they could even another sibling of a different age. I would think. I mean, I, I don't. I'm not a twin, and I don't know a lot of twins, but I know a few. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So, do you, I mean, do you think that this is something like this act of? I mean, like you you kind of. I, th- I guess you kind of semi answered my question that I'm about to ask. Uh, with a comment about the twins and like gaining the same experiences in the same context and the same environment, but do you think this is something like empathy is something that's calculatable, something that we could like study enough that we could I don't know synthetically create empathy in some way? Oh wow, interesting, interesting thought. How would we do that? You mean like in uh, artificially? Either art, like either either in AI, which is where most of my research ended up leading, or um, some of, some of the research about AI had just talked about simply like taking somebody like myself who's not terribly empathetic, and mm. essentially conditioning me into into an actual form of empathy. So I mean, like that kind of like, I mean, I guess that's like a self-answering question. I suppose is it kind of like led to led to a point where it was like, well, it's obviously studyable enough that and consistent enough that they could create corrective action essentially, to force somebody to feel this way. I mean, I still think that there's only a certain amount of, like, certain amount of emotion you can, like, force upon somebody anyway, but I, I do think it's, I guess I do think that part's possible. What, what, what about you? Like, what do you think in the form, either of you, what, are the, what do you think in the form of artificial intelligence? Like, do you think empathy is something we could teach a computer to do? I think we're talking about there's, I, I think there's pieces of things that we might be able to tell a computer to do. Like, I think we have to get into the difference between like a feeling and an emotion. Like, he, could we record or teach a computer like what a, a specific type of pain feels like? That to me seems a lot more binary because it's, it's like a nervous system. So it's like very much like we kind of have a little bit more understanding of how the nervous system works uh, than we do, like, how the chemicals in our brain create emotions. Mm -hmm. So I would say in that regards, we probably can record and and basically program into a computer what what it feels like to get hurt in a certain way physically. But emotionally, Mm -hmm. it's just so much more complex that I don't know if... I don't know if we'll ever be able to do that in exactly that way <laughs> what if I what if I told you that somebody's already doing this oh really that would be pretty cool so um, essentially it's at, it's at like I'm, I'm still even though it was five years ago that they started doing this I'm going to still call this like the beginning stages of like getting to the process of even quantifying what empathy is in humans mm-hmm. but uh, this this guy I found his name is Hang on, I need to get his full name. Daniel McDuff. He's an mm. MIT technician. Um, he 
essentially, it, like this is this is the short description. He builds scalable tools to enable the automated recognition of emotions and physiology. Okay. So he designed. I think this is like super poignant considering today was the Super Bowl, but he designed. A, a demonstration of a large-scale emotion measurement using webcams to capture viewers' facial expressions during Super Bowl commercials. Ah. Mm. And mm, so, okay. essentially, essentially what he was able to do is he was able to, like, quantify human emotions just by looking and analyzing somebody's facial expressions and getting enough of a baseline average of particular types of emotions, like uh, an affinity for humor at a particular commercial or, you know, something sad. Like, I mean, like, you know, Budweiser always does, like, the tug-at-your-heart-strings-type like commercial every year about the armed forces or something like that. Um, or, you know, like, father-son-type material. Stuff that's, like, really pandering to a particular type of individual watching the Super Bowl or who's really into football. But nonetheless, like, they're intended to evoke that kind of emotion. But he was able to quantify, like, based on this commercial these are the facial expressions, and he got enough of an average that he actually thought he could, you know, I don't know, scientifically scientifically get it somewhere. But this article, it's a Wired, a Wired magazine article, which we'll post. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the title of it, I think, is telling enough. It says, Why Computers Need Empathy for the Human Condition. And it essentially asserts that if we ever intend to fully, fully implement an actual artificial intelligence and consider it to be comparable in some some form to even being like a synthetic human like that that's one of the main things it'll have to do um and so like of course everybody's like first concern about ai is like taking that that you know taking it to like the dramatic end of like well if we get them to be too intelligent they're not going to see a need for us but um so he like he, he essentially, he described it by saying, like, okay, so if we make computers more empathetic, it's really not, he thinks it, it's not going to further ensure the demise of humanity. He actually thinks it'll make it easier for us to cope with ourselves. Um, and this is what he says, like, this is the end of the article, so it's kind of like the punchline icing on the cake for the whole the whole thing, but still worth reading. He says, ultimately, I believe that this technology will help us interact more naturally with the people around us to live healthier lives and ultimately help us care for one another more effectively. So he thinks that, the way I read that is he thinks that if he can teach a computer like how to identify emotions and respond, that it'll just better reflect how we as people should act towards the the subject and respond in a particular way. So he kind of thinks that using the artificial intelligence to condition humans into being more empathetic will make make us more more healthy psychologically it seems no i think that's probably pretty true i think i think being able to build the thing will help us understand it how it works better mm-hmm. so no he's not Man. so he's not the only one by the way there's there's another one there's um uh, a professor of electronic and computer engineering at hong kong university his name is pascal fung uh-huh. um Oh, goodness, not even a he. She, her name is Pascal Fung. Um, I believe this is her quote. There's no quotes around it, so forgive me if I'm misattributing this, but this other article that I'll post um, was kind of addressing the same, I don't know, kind of addressing the same thing. It's, and it's interesting to see the cohesiveness across these two forms of study because uh, neither of the other one is mentioned in the other article, which essentially to me reads that they're both doing similar research but not necessarily together. Although I'm sure they're aware of each other. Um, so she had said, if we ensure empathetic, empathetic emotional, intelligent machines uh, evolve at the hands of scientists and engineers whose sole purpose is to help humans, they are more likely to improve lives and make jobs more efficient. They will understand and empathize with you. They will apologize for their mistakes and ask permission before proceeding. They might even sacrifice themselves to save your life. And that is the ultimate act of empathy. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really interesting when you frame it like that, that like, you know... I, we, we already have, like, Siri will apologize to you. Alexa will apologize to you. Like, yeah, I mean, that. granted, that's a really easy thing to, like, detect a response to. Um, but they're, they're definitely hyper-emotional, very organic responses um, to interacting with a human from a computer. But, like, 
she's not wrong. Like, if a robot was to, like, push you out of the way of, like, a car that's about to run you over, like, it, it obviously knew you were in danger, not just calculatably, but, like, knew, knew that you were in danger and that you needed to be saved. Like, isn't, isn't that kind of, like, the end result of an empathetic response? Hmm, yeah. That's interesting. That is interesting. Is this the... Is anything that you found the Kairos? Company? No, actually. So they're doing similar things, it looks like. I mean, they bring up, like, they bring up uh, IBM's research with, like, their AI with Watson and Deep Blue. Mm-hmm. Um, as, like, I don't know, I guess as, like, forms of, like, they, what they call it? They called it modules. Um, like, they're modules of AI that are savants at particular things in hu- in human nature. Um, like, ones that are really good at, like, having conversational, like, conversational discussion in multiple languages, hundreds of languages. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Like or you know, winning chess, beating beating the world champion of chess, or playing yeah, right. Jeopardy. Apparently, like I mean, I don't know. Looks like there's a That's lot crazy. of uh, there's a lot of people pushing pushing towards like really hyper intelligent, hyper realistic AI. I I, sure. I would see I would see this as being the linchpin. Is like if you can get something that could, you know, calculate emotion, and respond accurately. Like that that would be the thing that would like freak people out. Yeah, but also but also make technology integrated in a in a seamless way and that it isn't yet. Mm-hmm. That would that's something that we could all, you know, really uh integrate in a way that we can't even imagine right now. Right. Which it's just completely be. crazy. It's completely crazy to think that we're even yeah. like that we've gotten so far in the artificial intelligence discussion, as mm-hmm. it were, that we're like talking about like the finishing touches of it, which is what I see like emotion being like, albeit yeah. synthetic, it's still an emotion. It certainly evokes a real emotion from people, from the the, the you know the user that's interfacing with this device. I don't know. It's like it's a fascinating time to like be watching it and certainly to be using yeah, it. it. Like it's just. Very odd, like and and the the I don't know the embrace of the technology has been fascinating. The interesting thing about about artificial intelligence intelligence at any in any format in any you know any way that you want to talk about it or research it is the way that you have to study other you know natural intelligence I guess non artificial intelligence and really figure <laughs> out what. So I'd be, I'd, it would be fascinating to talk to some of the researchers and, and find out what they've discovered about emotion and how it plays out and how it impacts people and their interactions with each other from a, a technical standpoint. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, the, the psychology view is the one that we have mostly. And then the pop psychology, you know, the, just talking to people and different experiences that people have had with, yeah. with you know empathy and other things and then there's the kind of clinical one and now we have a technical look aspect on it too which I didn't I didn't find any research on but would have been really interesting so that actually then that article the wired article that uh, highlights the work the MIT work of McDuff he uh, he is he's like some interesting takes on like how this technology could like manifest itself as being useful in day-to-day life. So like a couple of the things he was saying is like emotionally intelligent tech that that could have uh, many different uses. A mirror that could tell you how bad your night's sleep was when you looked in it. A fridge that recognized what you were eating and advised you on your diet. Or a car that could help you understand exactly the impact of your stress levels as you drove to work. Is that the same as like feeling emotions though? Because that to me just seems like calculable things. Like right, but like I, I guess that's the point though. Is is empathy a calculatable thing? Uh, I guess. Like I mean, one of one of the one of the parts of his research is like really interesting. He said uh, that his devices are not only able to track uh, outward expressions, a smile or a furrowed brow, for example, but also the inner manifestations of emotions. 
Using signal processing and by looking at the light reflected from the human face, we can measure heart rate, respiratory rate, and blood flow. Uh, emotions matter, McDuff said. They make us feel alive. They filter what we remember about experiences. They influence what we choose to do and where we choose to go. We're surrounded by amazing tech, but despite the amazing cognitive intelligence computers have, they have no emotional intelligence. They just don't understand the way humans do. But he was saying that like they've even toyed with research of like... Oh man, maybe maybe it was the other the other researcher, but like one one of the two articles I was reading about this the most had highlighted that they were they were almost able to tell to get the computer to be able to tell when somebody was faking it. When somebody yeah. was like yeah, actually that's... depressed but was like smiling and like joking around because that's something that like we as people have a really hard time. Like we we get a weird feeling about it like, "Hey, I feel like that person's faking it." But we can never really tell. But they they seem to have like gotten this research down that they could actually get it to like i don't know be able to tell the difference it's really interesting it's really interesting research even even if it like doesn't amount to anything or like you said it's really sterile jimmy and like really i don't know fake and computerized and like very calculated i i still think it's like fascinating how far they've gotten in such little time like most of these articles are from 2015 so, I mean, it was only a couple of years ago. The, this research is essentially in its very infant state. Yeah. I think, I think it's just hard for me to wrap my mind around it. I think I just need to remind myself that humans are just very, very, very advanced machines. <laughs> and, and no, I mean, like, really, though, like, we, that's totally, like, the, the things you're explaining about the computers not being able to keep up with, like, they're, like, telling when someone does something, like, being able to figure out if they're being deceptive about how they feel. I mean, right. that's just the things that they're seeing sounds like a really primitive version of like our subconscious, but like what we consider our subconscious mind and what it's doing all the time is like taking in all of that data and making decisions that we're not even aware of. Uh, right. So maybe in that sense, maybe it is possible. Maybe it is possible to, to, I would, I would be curious to like going back a little bit to, to wondering if, if two humans can feel the same thing. Like if, you can feel the same pain that someone else is going through. If you had a machine in the middle, do you think it would be possible to have an AI understand what one person is feeling and be able to emulate the things that my subconscious needs to feel that same thing? Like, huh. could you have a translator in the middle? Could you have an AI that understands how Jesse is feeling about something and then communicates it however it needs to communicate it, whether it be like, it could be even be plugging you directly into the matrix in some way of like, maybe it's a physical <laughs> connection or maybe it is something that you can do with the subconscious mind. Maybe it is like some type of, of triggers or something that this machine can do to cause you to feel another way. Hmm. Oh yeah. That's a fascinating thought. Yeah, it is. All right, Jimmy's done. You know everybody. Yeah. <laughs> it's like many well, I mean, episodes, like, we've just we've we've opened the can of worms that we don't, we don't have yeah. any way to deal with. Well, which I mean, is like awesome. there, there, there's so there's like there's technology of the like I don't know like neoprene suits that you put on that will like simulate touch from like somebody else on the other side of the internet, which is as dirty as it sounds. Yeah, yeah. but. It's definitely the, like, <clears throat> people have, like, done this, which is just, that's a little bit too creepy for my taste. But, like, yeah, what, what, if, what if they did find the scientific place where empathy is, like, emotionally and they were able to, like, I don't know, recreate that by stimulating certain synapses in the brain? Mm-hmm. Which uh, is the synapse, by the way, Jimmy. Synapse. Yep. I just watched a lot of Doctor Who growing up. That's all it was. <laughs> stay, wow. away, stay, away, stay away from that the Brits, was, bro. That is a really old reference in terms <laughs> of this podcast. It is. That's, that's season one. <laughs> just like to go back in time, guys. Wow. Excellent. <laughs> okay. I, well, now that we've effectively opened a huge can of worms and uh, have no way to put the lid back on, I, I guess we could come back to this again in some form but like i mean what do you what do you think jesse like circling back to the beginning of the like empathy 
I don't know, actually feeling what somebody else is feeling. Do you think that that's possible? I don't know. Yeah, well, (laughs) interesting. It's really interesting. We talked about a lot of cool stuff, and I don't know. I just don't see a way. I mean, I think the idea, the broad broad stroke idea that Jimmy just threw out there with the translator, the AI translator, is is probably, I think, the best we could do. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. if there is a way for them to say, well, they are feeling, for an AI translator, it, all, the, the best I can imagine is, like, they they can they read a a face mm-hmm. and they and the heart rate and the the breath depth and all that whatever that whatever it is they're reading and they could give me like a readout this person's feeling this and this and this and this and this and maybe in the future we even go more in depth and that and the ai has some sort of some sort of reference of the background of the person and, and previous experience, and they can cross-reference all the all the other things that might be coming up, and they can kind of hypothesize about, oh, this experience is making them feel this way, possibly because of something that happened in the past, and uh, and so you can get a better, a more accurate idea mm-hmm. of of the the scope of the feeling that's happening or the the suite of feelings that that person's having but i still yeah. don't think it's it's still not your feeling right hmm. it's interesting but i thought I, this this discussion went way different than i thought it was going to go i think like like both of you also about that it was going to go different <laughs> yeah, so i put in the outline that i had put in the outline that i have strong feelings about feelings i was going to yeah. talk about it but it didn't really go that way so i don't know if it's it's kind of a non-sequitur now yeah but now you brought it up so it's completely sequitur let's hear it yeah, some other some other time let's do it some other time <laughs> jesse's like an onion many layers <laughs> yeah <laughs> J- jimmy what do you think is like, is it possible to, I don't know, force people to feel each other's emotions or just to feel each other's emotions? I don't think enable, it, yeah. I don't think it's, I, I, I'm kind of in an interesting spot because I'm usually the first person to say that everything's possible. But like, of course you are. I, I don't know if there's enough happening. So part of me wants to say this is, this has to be possible because there's not enough data around to show me that it's not possible okay but it's such a i don't know i mean if you can get into the world of feeling someone else's emotions like let's just say we figured it out tomorrow what else does that blow open so can i also read your mind and understand your thoughts and understand the intricacies of everything that you are because once you start feeling now maybe it's two different things if i start feeling your pain that seems like something that we could probably do. I mean, that I was explaining it earlier. I understand that the nervous system is incredibly complex, and I'm sure there's some uh, there's there's some person with an actual degree <laughs> telling me that probably listening is going to tell me that the nervous system is way too complicated to replicate. But to me, replicating pain through like something like a artificial nervous system and having somebody else feel that same stuff, I think that's much more possible than just being able to, like, feel someone's emotions. Um, sure. I was talking to my, my girlfriend, Sarah, about this a little while ago, and she brought up an interesting point talking about how people's emotions are so much driven by your past experiences that there really is no way of feeling something that somebody else feels exactly because you always will be coloring your experience with your past experiences right a little bit so like i mean like the the idea of saying like oh i feel your pain he's like i got i also got my car stolen is it is kind of true but like not really true because it's not it will never be the exact same thing so i don't know i'm kind of in the middle 
I don't know if it would ever be possible to feel somebody else's emotions entirely. I just don't think. I don't. I don't. I don't. I think this one. I'm going to say is not possible. Hmm. But, so what if we to kind of springboard off of that? What it, you mentioned not having enough data to prove it wrong, right. to prove it impossible, or to prove it possible. Either way. So what if what what kind of things would we do to try to, or what reason would there be to research this? I'm just curious. What do you think? Uh, for advanced marketing and advertising. Oh yeah. If if your TV set can immediately understand and and feel what you were doing on a certain ad, they would just play those ads to you all the time. Yeah. Oh, you don't like this kind of ad. You don't like the sappy. But <laughs> well, you're not in the ad. mood. You're not in the mood for this ad right now. There's oh, always man. that too. I mean, like, why why not like hit when the iron's hot kind of a thing. What you if know, one like, person in the room is and one isn't? Well, I mean, like, targeted marketing is as good as it's going to to get as far as that's concerned. But like, what, what if what if like the same algorithm that advertises to you on Facebook, like, what what if they could target that a little bit better, and you got like very specific ads based on like your current emotional state? So am I going to have to have my webcam on all the time? <laughs> Who says it's not? That's the real question. Yeah, uh, yours is not. I can tell you that. Yes, my mine is definitely not. Mine's got a sticker over it for that very reason. <laughs> but I mean, like what Jesse though, it's really we're not that far off right now. I have two microphones in my house right now that are constantly on that don't start recording until you say a keyword, but they're on all that's, the time. That's your choice. It is. It is absolutely my choice. I'm just saying that a lot of people with technology, yeah, especially right. like artificial productivity technology, have like it kind of blindly accepted it i mean i i certainly did a lot more research on the like where are you storing these recordings what, where does this data go yeah. what are the possibilities but like think about like webcams even 10 years ago versus now mm-hmm. they're ubiquitous they're on every computing device now and people just have blindly accepted that they're there but 10 years ago people were spooked as hell that there was a camera on their computer yeah i guess that's right Some i mean like still it, well, hence the I mean, sticker over my camera. There's, I mean, there's <laughs> careful people, and there's people who are unreasonably fearful. No, yeah. I think it's definitely. That's a matter of opinion, though. That's true. I think it's funny because I just looked up. I'm in my living room, and I can count one, two, three cameras that are facing me right now <laughs> that all wow. have microphones attached to them in other right. devices. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. that's the thing. Is it's like. I mean, my like my my kids, both of them will, like my three year old knows what Siri is and like knows enough to know what and w- what Alexa is and like what to ask them, based on what he wants. Like, I mean, I don't know. Like that. Like we're we're getting to a point where that like aggregate data could be enough to like simulate some very interesting things about the human condition, as it were. Yeah. So I, I I think I'll be somewhere on the other end of both of you is I, I think that I really do think that it will be something that can be simulated enough that will feel real, but it like, you just can't, you just can't synthesize humanity. Like, I mean, it like, I we might, might get as good as like Cylons, like at the risk of being super sci-fi. Uh, like we might get that far, but like there's you'll still like you'll still be able to like keen a keen observation will tell you it's not real. Like I, it may may be widely accepted. It may be something we get used to, very matrixy like. But I don't think it's ever going to be fully any more so than like artificial intelligence can only go carry us so far, regardless of how good it is. Right. right. So that's that's where I sit. What are uh, what are we talking about next time, Jesse? Well, it'll be I think it'll be somewhat akin to this topic, Ooh. this discussion in that uh, it's some something that'll be hard to define, but the but uh, research into AI may yield some interesting facts. It'll be we're talking about altruism. Oh, altruism! Kinda, as you know, uh, the the giving of one's self. I don't know what the definition is. Uh, we'll, we'll say, we'll tell you next week. <laughs> <laughs>
What's the definition yeah, cool. of altruism? It's the doing of good deeds and stuff, generally speaking. But, hmm. you know, in a selfless kind of way. So, we'll give you a defini- definition and some talking points and probably uh, answer fewer questions than we discover unanswered. <laughs> Sounds like that was <laughs> perfect. Consistency. There's something to be said about it. Yep. Okay, well, we'll we will see you guys next week. Yeah. Thanks for joining us today. Visit impossiblethingspodcast.com to interact with the guys on Twitter, Facebook, and email. Questions, topic suggestions, corrections, and rants are always welcome. Also, find more episodes and see sources referenced in today's discussion. Impossiblethingspodcast.com for all things impossible. Impossible.